Um, thanks for having me back. <laughs> like you guys had a choice. Um, my name is Nicole. I'm sugar addict bulimic. I will be bold, so bold as to say that I do think those people are wrong who think that the only thing you need in recovery is the big book. Um, this is Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, and it's a, it's very different. It's sort of like saying that all I need for a house is the frame, and that's it. I don't need anything else. And it's like, no, you know, that's that's not my experience, and that's not experience, the experience of people that I have um, experienced uh, having recovery in the room. I think that's a very black and white, limited and defeatist point of view. So that's my opinion, which I get to share. Um, uh, I am going to talk about the tools of recovery, and I want to tie it into uh, the theme. It, it's possible to talk about the tools uh, purely as, you know, just hear the tools. Um, and that's not what I really want to do. I want to sort of follow the weave of like, um, you know, recovery from relapse. So last night I talked about shame and how shame was, uh, you know, the core of not allowing myself to have the promises of the program, that shame is what was keeping me from recovery. Um, and then uh, this morning I sort of got, I dilated more into my experience around relapse and how that was tied to that um, my life circumstances got bigger than my concept of a higher power. And whenever that happens, I'm going to turn to the food. So whenever my life circumstances get bigger than what I believe a higher power can support me through or provide for me, then all of a sudden I think my higher power is not going to show up for me and I'm going to turn to the tool that I know is always there, which is the food. So having to really look at that if I'm moving towards relapse, this is, I'm speaking for myself. If I am moving towards relapse, then I have, that means that I've spiritually disconnected. And if it means that I've spiritually disconnected, it means I'm no longer trusting in my concept of a higher power. And the thing that needs to change is not my higher power, but how I am choosing to relate to my higher power or the faith that I have in my higher power. So, um, so going back to uh, the relapse that happened, and I, I told a little story this morning about, you know, about three years before uh, my major relapse in 2006, um, I, so if you were on this morning, this is repetitive, but just to refresh your memory, I was at a meeting, there was a speaker, he was great, I called him up and said, hey, will you sponsor me, and he said yes. We'll meet every week. You'll check in with me every day. And my response was to say, whoa, dude, you're taking this program way too seriously. You know, and so that was three years before. And then when my relapse happened and I my disease had progressed while I was recovering, um, uh, I did hit that gift of desperation. And I found a sponsor who said... <laughs> So, you know, you're going to talk to me every day. You're going to, you know, we're going to meet once a week. We're going to do that. And I, even though internally, I just was like, I remember what she said is she, when she said yes, she said, okay, how about 10 a.m. on Sundays? 
And all I heard was Sundays, plural. You mean like every Sunday you want to meet at 10 a.m.? And I just like had this experience of balking. And then, but I was so desperate that I just said yes. I just said yes. And so working with her is where I developed the the tools of the program that I still work today. And so I kind of want to say that, you know, to to let people, to not compare your program to mine. Because when I was early in the rooms, I wasn't doing OA wrong. I was doing it to the best of my ability. And you get to be a newcomer and you get to do this program wrong. And you get to do it to the depth that, that you're able to show up. If I had come into the rooms on my first day and someone said, here's what you need to do, I wouldn't have come back. I wouldn't have come back. What kept me coming back was people said, take what you like and leave the rest. What kept me coming back is people said, look for the similarities, not the differences. What kept me coming back were the traditions. No one has the right to kick you out. No one gets to decide your membership. So again, no one had any authority over me. And that's the anonymity piece is that we are all equal in the in the fellowship. No one gets to tell me what to do. And I don't have the right to tell anyone else what to do. I have the right to my opinions and I get to express them, but I don't speak for OA. And there are people who, who if they were to work my program, they would not experience recovery because it doesn't work for them. You know, what I can tell you is that it works for me and it works for my sponsees because my sponsees are similar to me and we need this kind of program. Also, I want to say that there are those in all 12-step program, there are those who can do 12-step light and experience recovery. And, um, and it can be very difficult in the beginning when I want to be someone who can do 12-step light. And it's like, you know what? That's not my story. I don't have the same disease that they do. They have a disease where they can do one meeting a week they can meet with their sponsor once a month. They can do that and experience the gifts of recovery. Well, well, I can't. You know, I've tried it and it doesn't really work. So even though I'm going to go into, you know, my program today, I want to be careful that you don't use my experience to beat yourself up. You don't use my experience to compare. You know, don't forget that slogan, compare despair. You know, you get to come into this program and try things on. And, you know, because there are people, for example, who work a how program. That's so restrictive for me that that's triggering. But then there are those people who work a how program and it's exactly the structure that they need. And they need it on that level and they thrive. So again, you get to like come in and, and feel your way through. And this is again the analogy that I talked about about we're all in art school together. And we're and we have this one label that sort of unites us, but then in school we have to find our own artistic path. We have to create our own relationship to a higher power and we have to create a program of recovery that supports and fosters that relationship to our higher power because that is the solution. So um, so I'm going to just go through what I do 
every day or on a, this is my program. So, uh, I already shared that every morning I wake up and I roll onto my knees and I do the third step prayer. Um, when I was initially given that exercise, uh, I had a lot of issues with the language. Um, I had a lot of issues with, um, I just had a lot of issues with the prayer itself. And so I was very fortunate in that I was given the homework assignment where for each line of the prayer, I had to write out what the line meant to me. Now, I wasn't allowed to change the words. You know, I still had to memorize and recite the prayer. But for each line, I was able to sort of try to find my way into owning it and making it mine. So, for example, the first word, God, I had to redefine what that meant to me. I was going to have to say that word. So it's like, well, what does that mean for me? And again, for me, I changed God to group of dames, you know, that this collective interdependent support of women is something that I wanted, that I believed in and that I could um, commit myself to. And then I, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole exercise. It's an exercise that I had to do. But then even like the first line, God, I offer myself to thee. And that really helped me because that line was, I have a choice here. I have free will. I get to decide that I'm doing this. And so that line, so I got to write like what, what this you know, line meant to me. And then when it said the, what was I saying? So that's just an example of how I took the prayer and I, each line I wrote out what the words meant to me. So when I said I offer myself to thee, again, I was thinking of the love team. Like I choose to participate in this love team. So do you see what I'm saying? So every morning I roll out of bed and I start my day with the third step prayer, which I think of as the 12 step recovery prayer. And then I am affirming my membership in 12 step. So I do that once I'm up. Now I used to be a morning person and because I used to drink coffee. And so, um, I used to get up and go to, you know, either a 7 or 7.30 or 6 a.m. meeting. And so I what I loved about that is every day before I went out into the world, I got my head on straight. I got my priorities straight. Um, I'm not that person anymore. And so what I do instead is I immediately put on some of my favorite speakers So while I'm getting ready, while I'm doing whatever, so I roll out of bed, you know, do the third step prayer, and then I start my morning listening to, for me, it's Father Terry. Um, For people who know um, Father Tom, Father Tom is a big uh, AA Al-Anon speaker, and um, I adore him. And Father Tom is the extrovert. And then Father Terry is his sponsor. And Father Terry is the introvert. And I much more identify with Father Terry. And you can find all these talks on that G drive that I sent. So I listened to that. Um, The other thing I asked myself is what meeting am I going to today? Now, um, if I'm not going to go to a meeting, then I'm basically like, well, what am I doing 
for my recovery instead. So for example, the night that I have therapy, I don't have to go to a meeting. You know, there were times, by the way, when I was coming out of relapse that, like I said, I was going to a meeting a day because I was going to um, morning meetings seven days a week. And then there were times during my relapse where, you know, I would then go to an evening meeting. And then there were times where, especially when I was sick and I was on disability from, from, exhaustion you know my body collapsed when all the trauma memories happened I spent four months on disability and I still deal with chronic illness and so there were days where I could only go chunks of time and then I had to go to another meeting like I couldn't be alone too long with the food so I I went to a morning meeting and then I would go to a noon meeting and then one day I went to like a morning, a noon, a five o'clock, and then an eight o'clock because I was afraid of being alone, you know, because I was at that time I was living alone in a studio and I just was so, my abstinence was so fresh and new and precarious. So that's what I was doing. So anyway, so now I'm in the habit of waking up and it's like, what meeting am I going to do today? Thankfully with Zoom, you know, and uh, there's I'm, there's always a meeting that I can do. And if I'm not going to a meeting, then it basically means I'm either talking to a therapist, talking to my sponsor, or, t- or talking to a partner in recovery. So basically, I am committing one hour a day to strengthening my fellowship, my connection to um, the recovery program. So I do that. Um, and then I have uh, what we lovingly call God squads. I have several text groups on my phone uh, that are uh, different God squads. I have some that are iPhone only. I have some that are mixed iPhone, Android. I have some that are anorexic, bulimic focused. Um, I have some, uh, I have, I shouldn't say some, I have one that's OA iPhone. I have one that's Android mixed from a different group, like one is this big group that, you know, one is this Wednesday night meeting group that everyone started and and I was invited to join. One is um, an anorexic bulimic focus so that we can really kind of focus on that. Um, And then another group is uh, what I call the mom squad. So it's my sponsees that are all like dealing with small children at the same time. And so I have that group. And then I have another group that is um, all my sponsees, uh, you know, and then they can they all talk to each other and I encourage them to connect. So um, so that's something where someone will post a daily reader and if no one else does, then I'll post a daily reader. Um, So, again, these are like my morning rituals that really sort of establish that my commitment to my own recovery and my connection to my fellowship. So again, the daily readers are where I get a little bit of the literature. Um, now I have a food plan uh, that I follow. Uh, my over the years, my food plan has changed. Um, I have a in my G drive, which I'll share the link, uh, is a, a, a food plan from OA that. <laughs> actually was the draft of the Dignity of Choice flyer that's much more detailed. Um, And so that went around and I didn't know it was a draft and so I took a copy and it was a perfect food plan for me. And then 
it didn't get passed. And then the Dignity of Choice pamphlet came out and they took out all the good stuff. Um, so I have that on the G drive. So I did that food plan for years. I did that food, food the no sugar, no flour um, food plan for years. Then recently, um, because of my illness, I am now on a, a food plan from a naturopath that's very strict in certain ways, and but it's working for me. So basically the point is, is that I have a food plan, not just a vague idea of what I'm going to eat. For me, three, two, one doesn't work. Uh, it was a good place for me to start when I first started the three, two, one worked because when I first started OA, the fact it was so hard for me because I'm a grazer more than a binger. So a binger, you know what I mean? They'd have like this table full of food, right? They'll sit down and they'll eat that right there. That wasn't me. I would eat that all day long. And so it's just this constant eating. I was constantly eating. And my sponsor calls it the morphine drip, you know, just this constant eating. So for me, the three, two, one in the very beginning was so important because I had no idea how much I relied on those constant bites. And so to have breakfast, have it end, and then go two to three hours. So it was breakfast, two to three hours snack, two to three hours lunch, two to three hours snack, two to three hours dinner. Not eating for those two to three hours in the beginning was profound. I was like, I couldn't believe it. The other thing is, is that in that dignity of choice, it taught me to weigh and measure. You know what I mean? Not strict, but it gave me guidelines. And I have to tell you that when I first joined, I had no idea what four ounces of ground beef was. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You know what I mean? I was used to eating what I wanted and I was used to eating what was you know, like, and so the beautiful thing about weighing and measuring in those first years was that I learned what servings were. And I learned like that I could, that my lunch couldn't be all carbs. You know what I mean? That it's like, you know, again, following the food plan that it had to be, you know, protein, vegetable, carb, fruit. I mean, it was just like, uh, but the beautiful thing is that after like 10 or 12, I, I honestly, I don't remember so many years, I now visually know what a serving is. I don't need to measure it anymore. I can look at that and go, oh, I know because my I'm trained. I'm so trained now. And so it did get to a point where for me, because my disease progressed and I started getting very, very restrictive with my food I started to get and so one of the things that I've had to do recently is to stop weighing and measuring but I have to tell you the reason and it's been successful but I know the reason it's successful is because I know what a serving is so I don't need to measure it anymore I know what four ounces and I still weigh and measure like nuts I'm like I gotta measure that that's there are certain things that I'm like, no, I got to measure that. I, I know myself. So, so that's where I have my food plan. But more importantly, it's a disease of isolation. So I have a food buddy or a food group. 
I've gone through this where I report my food. Now, I don't report my food to my sponsor because I love her and I don't want to torture her with that. Um, so, and for my sponsees, they're not, I say, don't send your food to me. Like, you know, I don't want to see your food, you know, but I am not allowed to be alone with my food. And if I'm not willing to report what I'm eating, no matter what it is, you know what I mean? Then there's, then I'm back in my disease thinking, you know, so I need you to know that in periods of my relapse, like I had another relapse, which is the shame one that I was telling you guys about. The bulimia one with the trauma memories happened in 06, and then the one with the shame happened in 2013. So those were my two major relapses. So while I was struggling with the one in 2013 with the shame, I was eating rice cakes every day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. I reported it. Every day, I reported it. I'm like, here's what's true for me right now. You know what I mean? And I just did. And the beautiful thing about that is um, I am on a food group with um, a number of my sponsees. One of my sponsees, because, and I didn't realize, you know what I mean? You don't realize the impact that you can have on people. But because I did that, she's not afraid to report whatever she's eating. Because she watched me, you know what I mean, write Rice cakes, I can't believe it's not butter spray. Rice cakes, butter spray. Rice cakes, butter spray. Rice, day after day after day after day. And so, so when I told her, it's one thing to tell someone, it's not about what you eat. It's about your willingness to tell the truth about what you're doing with your food, you know, and to trust that you can let someone see that and they will not shame you. You know what I mean? For me, that that's so it's one thing to tell them that, but it's another thing to demonstrate that and realize, like, oh, she's really going to write down whatever she eats, no matter what she's eating. But then the good thing is, is that they also got to see me come out of that. You know what I mean? Because I was sponsoring them before this major relapse, and then I was sponsoring them through it. And so they got to see me fall on my face do my harm reduction techniques, which was no sugar, no purging, you know, so that's my definition of abstinence is no sugar, no purging. And if I need to eat rice cakes all day, then that's what I'm fucking going to do. So they got to watch me do that. And I just trusted in the process of the program and the process of recovery that if I kept working this program and if I kept surrendering and doing the step work that I would work my, you know, be released from this uh, relapse. And that's exactly what happened. And so they got to see me hit a point where I became willing to eat real foods. So that again was the importance of um, my food plan. Also, every day I have to check in with my sponsor. Um, I have uh, two questions. Um, how am I feeling and what am I grateful for? So I send her little voice memos. Um, at the time, it used to be voicemails, but now with iPhones, I can just do a voice memo. And that way I can talk for as short or as long as I want. And this was inherited from the AA sponsor who um, helped me with this is that, you know, the point is, number one is that I'm connecting to my sponsor every day. Number two is that, I'm stopping and asking myself, 
How am I feeling? Like, I need to be able to get in touch with my feelings and practice articulating them. Practice like tuning in and how am I feeling? What is a feeling? What are these different kinds of feelings? Does anyone have a list of words for feelings that I can learn and whatever? And then share them with her and tell the truth. So step one is the principle of honesty. What is true? So my food group reporting is what is true about my food? Calling in and checking in with my sponsors. What is true about how I'm feeling today? Especially if I'm walking around, you know, with fronting and showing the world that I'm doing great. Am I really doing great? Like I need to be able to connect to my sponsor and tell her the truth of what's going on for me internally. And then the the second question is, what am I grateful for? I always have to end on a gratitude. You know, I always need to recognize that there is always something for me to be grateful for. And when I was going through that trauma memory period, man, that was a hard effing question. That was hard, but I had to do it. And so that's when I learned to say things like, okay, I'm grateful that I don't have a disability. I'm grateful. I mean, I just had to start or or a different kind. I just had to start to think like, okay, I'm grateful for, and it made me and it forced me to look at the things that I do have going on in my life. And that was a really important practice. And it was also important to sort of end on an up note. It's kind of like how we talk in the meetings that if you, if you need to share the mess, because that's what's going on for you, make sure you end by sharing the message. Otherwise you're just dumping on the meeting. Um, so that's, you know, checking in with my sponsor. Um, so meditation. All right, we got to talk about this because this, this is so hard. I mean, this took me years, years. So I just want people to know, like, for those of us who are hyperactive, whatever, this meditation would be hard. So I started with walking meditation. So I just started with, because thankfully I went to a Buddhist center and I was like, and someone introduced me to walking meditation. I'm like, I can do this. This is great. You know, so I started with that. Then when I got older, I was able to do, and I have gone on 10 day meditation sits. I've done all that. But bringing it into my daily life was very challenging. And so I heard this on a, I heard this somewhere. I don't even remember where I heard it from, but I did not, if I say anything smart, it did not originate with me. You know, if I say anything crazy, I'll own that. But if I say anything really uplifting and lightning, I heard it from someone else and I'm just channeling it. Um, So what I heard, like, to just start with something so small. So I started meditating for one minute. And here's why this works. Because I was always too busy to stop and meditate. I was always doing something. So first of all, I had to set a timer on my phone because I'd always forget, you know. And then a lot of things coalesced. So I have sleeping issues. And so I was directed that at 8 o'clock... I had to start to wind down. So I had to start to turn things off, turn my computer off, turn this, whatever. So I thought, okay, that would be a good time, eight o'clock, to, you know, 
shift by doing meditation. So I put a reminder in my phone, meditate. I set it for 8 p.m. Then here's the beautiful thing. When it went off, it's like I knew I only had to meditate for one minute. I mean, how are you going to argue against meditating for one minute? What are you going to say? Oh, I don't have time? You know what I mean? It's one effing minute. So that's how I started. So what I held on to was it wasn't how long. It was just that I did it. And then I started to do it every day. And I let go of when I was going to expand. I just one minute and I started. And then one day randomly, I was like, all right, let's try two minutes. So I did two minutes. I'm up to four minutes. I don't know if I can get past four minutes, but I'm up to four minutes. And I have to admit sometimes like I open up my my eyes and I have 30 seconds left and I'm like, that's good enough. You know what I mean? But the point is, is that I do it every night. And sometimes I'm just sitting there for four minutes with my eyes closed thinking. But I'm practicing the habit. I'm practicing the habit and I just trust that it will build on itself and I'm doing the best I can and I get full credit for that. So so then, okay, that's kind of like my daily, that's what I do every day. Um, also, my sponsees check in with me every day, just the way that I have to check in with my sponsor. I promise you that I never, ever make a sponsee do something that I have not done. Because if I haven't done it, then I don't have the experience, strength, and hope to share it. And that's how this program works. I'm not an authority on something. You know, I'm a peer, and, an, and this is the anonymity piece where I'm sharing my experience, strength, and hope. And then again, I, if it doesn't work for them, then we get to talk about like, how did that not work? So it's not that you did it wrong or that I gave you wrong information. It's like, oh, we learned something. So think of it as like borrowing clothes from your sister's closet. You go into your sister's closet and a lot of stuff you may really like, but then you'll try on different outfits and you're like, this doesn't work. Okay, now we have some information. Why doesn't it work? What don't you like about it? Oh, okay, well, how can we make this so it works more for you? Do you see what I'm saying? So again, we don't throw anything away. We rework it so it's tailored for what works for you and what speaks true for you. Um, so every week I meet with my sponsor. Well, actually now we do phone. We used to meet, but now it's phone. So weekly I meet with my sponsor. Um, I'm always working a step. Uh, right now we're actually going through the traditions, but I'm also on step um, seven. So, you know, but I do that every week. Uh, the other thing is, is that, um, oh, I'm also always reading a recovery book. Now, here's what this means. Every weekend, here's my version of reading a recovery book. I read one or two pages. So, but I know that I'm in this program for life. So it's not a race. And I go for consistency you know, rather than like, I got to read this book or whatever. So for example, I'm going through the Body Image Relationships and Sexuality, the new OA book. So every weekend I read a little story and that's it. I also, I mean, I read all the time, you know what I mean? So it's like, but the point is, is that I just finished another 12-step book. I was like, oh God, I finished that book. And, and I have another one. So I'm always sort of reading 
a little bit. But just to be clear, I only make myself read two, three pages at a time. And I got this from doing a big book study where we only had to read one or two pages at a time. And I was like, this is great. I can totally do this. So, um, uh, let's see. Oh, I have a home group. So for me, a home group is, so that's my Friday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Green Shag Serenity Seekers. And uh, it's because the meeting uh, room that we're in has this ugly ass, totally awesome 70s green shag carpet. And so we called ourselves the Green Shag Serenity Seekers. So um, because just so you know, in case it hasn't, I don't know if you're region one or region two, but we were asked, the meetings were often identified by the building that they were in. And so we were in uh, Northeast Bethany Church. Well, for a newcomer, that can look like OA is affiliated with a church. And so our region was asked like that we give ourselves names so that it's not associated with the building that we're in. And we, it's, we had someone say Friday night Serenity Seekers and someone said Friday night Green Shag and it was a split vote and so then someone put it together and we're like awesome that's our name so green shag serenity seeker so here's what a a a home group means to me is that's the meeting that i commit to go to no matter what now the other meetings during the week that i go to and again i was going to a meeting every day i believe in what i was taught was three for maintenance four for recovery so four meetings a week for recovery and then three meetings is like okay that's going to hold you steady but four for recovery now i'm in multiple programs so i always make sure that for me right now that my home group is my oa group and then i have to work you know i'm aca al-anon um those are the big ones. And then I go to an open AA meeting as a way to augment my OA recovery. So, um, so that's, so my home group, typically I, so historically my home group was also the group that I always did service at. I got to a point where I had done, um, service in every position. And so then naturally with amount of time, Um, it evolved to where I started doing service at the intergroup level. And so now I'm uh, the Serenity Retreat Chair at the intergroup level. So I don't actually hold a service position. Well, I just did because of the pandemic and people didn't know how to Zoom and I was able to jump in on that. But, um, but typically I don't, I no long, I just want to be clear that I do service, but now my service has gone up to the intergroup level and I let people with less time do service at the home group level. Um, and then also, uh, I sponsor, I have too many sponsees. Um, yeah, uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's just how it's happened. I really have to practice saying no. And I have, I've like committed to my sponsor. I cannot actually take on any more sponsees, but, um, sponsoring is a huge part of my life. Um, you know, it's mentoring women is something that you did outside of program. So this is again, like, don't, I don't even want to tell you how many I have because it's ridiculous, but 
But I just want to say, like, first of all, I don't have kids. But also, before I got into the rooms, I started a youth group for girls. So that's something that, so mentoring young, younger women would have been a part of my life and a passion in my life, no matter what. I just was blessed to be able to turn that passion into my recovery program and and sponsor. But giving this program away is, I know, the way that I keep it. I know that. I know that from experience. If I'm not giving this program away, and I'll, I'll tell you something, this happened not that long ago, and I do want to leave time for questions and sharing, is um, a younger woman that I love deeply, um, she came over uh, spontaneously and like, she was totally distraught and upset, um, you know, about her relationship. And I listened and I loved her and whatever. And, and then she left. And the next morning I woke up and I was so happy. And I was like, God, why am I so happy? And I realized that she reminded me of what my life used to be like. And it it's not the food. It was how she was thinking about herself, how she was struggling to get respect in her relationship, how she was struggling with all the feelings that she was having, how she was, I was like, oh, right. Like I forget that. And so again, as much as she needs me to sort of represent like, yeah, girl, if you work this program, you don't have to live that way anymore. I need her to remind me that my boring day, the most boring day I have, I would still choose over her best day. I'm like, no, because she doesn't have any serenity in her best day, you know, and I do. She doesn't have the sort of level of self-love and acceptance in her, and I do. And so again, we need each other because I'll think that I don't need this program or I'll think it's kind of like how people say you see signs where people who are bipolar or psychotic or whatever and they take their meds and then they feel fine and then they think they no longer take their meds. Like I remember walking into a gym one time and there was a big sign that said, remember to take your medication. I was like, why, you know, I didn't understand what the sign was for. And the person there had to say, oh, it's a mental health poster where people get really depressed or manic, bipolar and whatever, and they take their meds and then their life gets better. And then they think that they don't need their meds anymore. So then they stop taking it. And I'm like, oh, right. Like, this is my medication. Everything that I told you, those are my meds, you know, and if I do this program recovery, then I really do have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Is it perfect? Of course not. You know, I don't think humans are perfect. I don't think I'm wired to be perfect, but I get to, I get to love myself. Here's something that happens. I wake up in the morning, do my little thing, like all of us, at some point as I'm dressing and undressing, I am naked in front of a mirror. And you know what? I have positive thoughts about myself when I'm looking at myself in the mirror. Like, you can't put a price tag on that. You know what I mean? You can't. Also, I'm having relationships. I can smell crazy and I can smell chaos now. And I had to go through a situation where this woman really wanted to be my friend. And I was like, I've done that. 
And I don't want to do that anymore. You know what I mean? I, and that was hard. It was hard for a really charming woman who wanted to be friends for me to be like, I don't want to be your friend because I want to love everyone. But I also need to have those boundaries that we talked about. How can I love you and me at the same time? And what space or distance is required to make that happen? I can only really love you from afar. If you did get too close to me, your crazy affects me and not in a good way. So I want to stop. Um, thank you. You guys have been so attentive. This is my last appearance. Um, I've got a full plan and... That's it. Thanks.